Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. All right, good morning, friends. Welcome back. Uh, Welcome to everybody who's watching us on live stream. We have a few extra groups meeting off campus today and joining us via live stream. So welcome to you. I hope you guys had a wonderful time of discussion. Uh, I had a great discussion in my group. Um, I'm just excited about what God is continuing to reveal and teach us together. I do have a few announcements for you. Uh, First is we had uh, our Embrace Grace Shower on Sunday, and I just want to give you a a good report um, of that event. It was such a blessing to the women, and um, I just want to thank you for participating. I know many of you purchased gifts and sent them. Some of you made handmade gifts, and it was just really, really beautiful time. So thank you. Uh, that was a huge success. Um, next announcement is that next week, we are going to be combining lessons 17 and 18 together. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all for next week. That will be our last formal week of homework and discussion time. Uh, but we will meet again on May 6th, so I want you to mark that in your calendar. Even though you'll be done with homework, please, please, please come back on May 6th. That day, we will gather together in this room. We will be able to have tables that day, and we will be able to gather without a mask. So I really hope that all of you will come. Uh, All of you that are watching on live stream, please plan to join us that day. That's gonna be a time of reflection and communion together. So leaders, I'll be guiding that time from the stage. We'll all be in here at 9.30. The event or the the gathering will last about an hour. And then you'll have some time. And I really want to encourage you guys to do something together after that that gathering to go out for brunch or go for coffee or whatever else you might like to do. um, Maybe you could go to a park and bring a brown bag. Just a time to celebrate being together um, on May 6th. So be sure you mark that. All right, we have a new memory verse this week. Um, this is from Mark 14, 36. Let's all stand and let's just read, read this together and then I'm gonna invite our speaker up to pray over her. So let's read this together. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We are blessed to have my friend, Cassie Fothergill with us today. I'm going to invite her up on the stage. Cassie, the last time she taught, you were not here. She had to just teach to me in the audience. Um, And so I'm so thankful that she can be with us. Usually Cassie's here on Wednesdays. She teaches our widows group. And you're in for a treat to be with her today. Um, So I'm going to pray for Cassie. Would you join me in prayer for her? And uh, then we'll get started. Father God, we just praise your name. We are so humbled to be your children, to be able to call you Father, just like Jesus did in the garden. And we do call you Abba, Daddy. We just, we love you so much, and we're so thankful that you love us. We're asking God that you would continue to teach us, and during this time this morning, as you have taught Cassie, would you, would you teach us through her? Would you help us to hear from you directly? Would you give us attention? Would you help us to put aside all of the worries and cares of the day and and to focus on what you would have for us? And would you give Cassie just um, everything that she needs in this moment? Um, We're just blessed to have her with us today. God, would you be glorified in all 
that we do and say. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad to be with you today. I, um, I'll start by saying how thankful I have been these last few weeks with the abundance of materials and studies and Easter experiences that we have to look at these final days of, of Christ's life. I kind of feel just almost this sense of being overwhelmed when I realize uh, not only do we have those materials, but the gift that we have of the Holy Spirit, right, to guide us as we study God's Word. And, and I guess maybe I was just really reflecting on how it made me thankful for growing older, like, it's one of the best parts of aging, I think, isn't it, that uh, we can look back and realize that we're growing in our love for God and growing in thankfulness for His Word and growing even in the realization of our need for a Savior. So here's to aging today. How about that? <laughs> I want to show you one of um, the prayers that we've been using on Wednesday in our new song group to begin our time of study, and it's just richly blessed us all. So if you'll join me in reciting this prayer as we begin. God, give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. God, let any knowledge I gain serve to help me love you and others more and not puff me up. God, help me see something new about you I've never seen before. God, correct any lies I believe about you or anything I misunderstand. God, direct my steps according to your word. In Jesus' name. I think it's a beautiful way to start and to hear the voices joining together to recite that way gives us freedom that God is here to help us to not misunderstand. So, And Amy's taught us richly that we this is part of loving God with our mind. Today, as we look at um, chapter 14 in Mark, let's look at maybe um, some responses to Christ. So the way that it was easiest for me to kind of take the text and look at it a little more in depth was to think of the way that people were responding to Christ, the way that Christ was responding to the people, and finally, how we are to respond to Christ I think it's really neat to see God's big story on display. It's almost on full display this week. Um, all these key events in Christ's life, they really help us see that big picture, that whole narrative of God as it's coming um, into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm a very visual person, and one of the places that I was led was even just to these paths in these events that we're reading, like where... Um, we started in Bethany and how, it tra and how he traveled to the upper room. So this map was one of the more simple ones that I could find to show the movement of Jesus and the disciples on these days. We're really looking this week at the days Wednesday to Friday of Holy Week. Um, if you've been to the Holy Land, this map is kind of on its side. You can see that north is pointing to the left. So it, it might kind of, I don't know, suit you to sort of do a little turn there to see if if you've been or if you've seen and studied maps before. Make sure you've kind of noticed there, um, Amy had a beautiful picture last week of the garden view of the temple and Mount of Olives, how she showed us that beautiful portrait. So there's a little bit of the landscape. And I want you to also remember that Bethany was like two miles. So this trip from Bethany to Jerusalem, about two miles. 
I had to recreate a little bit of the map to simplify it for myself. Um, these are some of the bigger responses to Christ that I started to look at. The anointing, um, how the disciples obeyed, Judas's betrayal, the leader's accusations, Peter's denial, and the crucifixion. And um, so these were the big actions that were kind of standing out to me when I was thinking of how people were responding to Christ. I had to narrow them down a little bit, though, but I want you to see them as they go through this more simplified map that I created just to help my understanding and, and maybe yours as well. So you see the location of the anointing. The woman anointed Jesus at Bethany. The disciples listened to Jesus at the Last Supper. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus in the garden. The religious leaders accused Jesus in the temple. Peter denied uh, Jesus in the crowds. And finally, leading to them killing Jesus on the cross. So this map really helped me kind of follow that progression of action since our chapter is so filled with events and so filled with action. It was hard for me to choose maybe which of these responses to look into in a little more depth, but I know like you, probably one that um, touched you to read about again was the anointing. So let's look um, at our text. You've probably just read um, this part of the text that speaks about the anointing. It starts in verse 3. It says, While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? <clears throat> it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Oh, yes. Leave her alone. I forgot I was reading the whole thing. <laughs> Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we know that it was in ancient times that only the prophets, priests, and kings would have been anointed. This practice would have been performed by other priests or prophets, certainly not by a woman. This woman must have been a devoted follower of Christ because she knew what this would have symbolized and she knew that Christ would allow such an act. Did you notice that in our story it tells us that she broke the jar? This was almost as significant as the cost of the oil because it became obvious that she would never use the jar again for anything else. Had she only taken the lid off or um, she could have refilled it, right, or used it as was customary in the time, as part of her dowry. So to me, hearing this, and also thinking about alabaster, right? It's a stone, a soft stone, but still a stone. It wasn't like a glass jar that she broke. It almost, um, the force of her having to break it just almost spoke to me in a different way before when I was thinking about her anointing Christ. This complete sacrifice. So there's a picture there. Um, of what it might have, the spike nard plant. 
Um, this story is commonly viewed as the same story as the anointing by Mary, the sibling of, of Martha and Lazarus. As recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 12, it is sweet to visualize this event with someone we know as a devoted follower of Christ, who spent many hours listening to his teaching, who had seen Jesus raise her brother from the dead. But I think it can also be equal, equally wonderful to imagine it as a separate account. Maybe allow yourself to imagine a woman who spent less time one-on-one with Jesus, but who had been part of the crowds and who witnessed miracles and heard the teachings about the new kingdom. So maybe it was two women who performed separate anointings. Maybe one anointed the head, the other the feet. Maybe the anointings took place a few days apart. Either way, don't miss the message of the woman's great sacrifice because I believe it has so much to say to us. She knew the cost She knew the reason, and she was courageous enough to follow through with it. Speaking of courageous, we know another response here is from Peter. Don't you just think that about him? We we, uh, definitely know he was not lacking in courage or, or zeal. So if we switch now to maybe the response of Peter, let's look at the text here in verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee, Peter declared. Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. We all want to defend Peter, right, and root for him. He's such a passionate follower of Christ. He's so eager to always speak out and defend Jesus. He's not named here in Mark's account, but we're pretty sure that it was him who drew the sword and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers in the garden. Just like Peter in the upper room, I feel like sometimes we can feel certain of our faithfulness. Could you imagine yourself saying the same sort of thing to Jesus? I will be completely faithful to you my whole life, knowing that the reality is that we're not really fully capable of keeping that kind of promise. So I don't think Peter was lying. I I think he truly believed he would never deny his loyalty to Jesus and to the church. So what happened? I don't know, but maybe it's just like all of us. It could have been his stubbornness or maybe his disobedience that got him into the bad situation. Uh, Jesus told them that they would all scatter like sheep. The others fled to places of hiding, and I think that's because Peter stayed that he found himself being questioned by onlookers and ultimately found himself denying Jesus. Our text tells us in verse um, 71 that he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. And we get this privilege, don't we, of being able to see the impact of this experience in Peter's life. He did have continued moments of doubt and even for a bit returned to his old ways of fishing. Until after the resurrection, when he meets Jesus once again on the shore, Jesus knows Peter needs restoration and he graciously offers it, doesn't he? We get to see both the power of restoration through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in the continuation of Peter's ministry. 
Just think of the transformation. He could hardly speak when questioned by the servant girl. But later we know he stood ready to face a mob and and preached a Pentecost message to thousands. These responses of those closest to Jesus speak of the power of being called a follower of Christ. Passion and courage grew in the woman and in Peter as they devoted their lives to Jesus. So if we now think about some ways that Jesus responded in these final days, we see some things like this, his defense of the woman, the way he taught his disciples, how he sang on the way to the garden, his prayer in the garden, how he was silent at the accusations, and even his sacrifice. These actions, again, if I put them on my homemade map for you, I love seeing the path of them. It helped me kind of connect all of it together. The way that he defended the woman in Bethany and taught the disciples and taught and taught, right? He didn't ever seem to tire of teaching and explaining to them. This might become my favorite, the way that he sang on his way to the garden. And he prayed silent in the, in the courts here as his accusers um, brought all, even the false testimony, and finally his sacrifice on the cross. The set of responses I think that grabbed my attention kind of were um, centered around um, Jesus' actions at the Last Supper. Um, We know that this was likely a Passover meal, and I want you to take a look maybe at this painting and another one, these beautiful representations of what it might have been like for Jesus to share and break bread with his disciples. The first one's pretty familiar. Um, I kind of... I got lost in a tangent of studying all these paintings, so I I deleted all that from my talk, so later we can talk about it, but I do want to show you the second one. The second one, maybe a little, um, if we wanted to see what reclining actually looked like around the table, I liked liked this one to see the reclining. Often they'd lean on the left elbow and feed themselves with the right hand. Um, You might be able to visualize the foot washing a little more with this scene. Regardless, we know that our text in Mark has um, this to say in verse 12. So keep that picture in your mind and let's talk about how it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where may I eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. I suppose that Jesus knew um, that the last, I suppose I knew that the, the Last Supper and the Passover happened together, but I think in this study I realized more of the correlation of the traditional parts of the meal and started to consider some of these ideas more fully. Jesus would have been the one in charge of leading the disciples through the symbolic food to help them remember how God saved Israel from Pharaoh and how the sacrifice of the Passover lamb had saved the firstborn during the tenth plague. 
This Passover tradition would have allowed Jesus to walk the disciples through this big story of salvation and point them to that key idea that he was the lamb about to be slain for the sins of the world. Those in the upper room would have been the first to hear these overarching ideas. And just like Amy taught us last week, we see that through his teaching that Jesus is continuing his systematic dismantling of Judaism, even here in the final hours. He was respectfully ending yet another part of the faith practices of Israel. Passover was one of the most celebrated rituals of the faith, and Jesus was going to use it to show his followers a more excellent way. The timing couldn't have been more perfect. We know in Mark 22, it's in the the 22nd verse of Mark 14, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread and broke it, gave it to them, saying, Take it, this is my body. Scholars believe it was possible that during the Last Supper, there would have also been this accompanying of four cups during the meal, all symbolic. The first cup, the cup of sanctification, and the second cup, the cup of judgment, would have been um, taken during the eating part of the meal. And it's possible, many people believe, that the third cup, the cup of redemption, that verse 23 tells us that Jesus takes the cup, gives thanks for it, and says to them, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many, that this cup is called the cup of redemption. This would have held such rich meaning for the disciples. The cup of redemption is what Jesus would take for them and for many. And then, this is almost my favorite part, it's after this cup that we read in verse 26 that they sang, I don't know why I missed this whole part, Anna mentioned it a couple of weeks ago about the singing. We know that the Psalms of Hallel, or they're called the Psalms of Praise, Psalms 115 to 118, were some of the customary things that were sung at the conclusion of the meal. I want you to imagine with me, Um, Christ singing these words as he's leaving the Last Supper, beginning his trip to the garden. Psalm 118, verse 22 through 24 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. So Jesus sang. He taught again and again about the new kingdom. He had just modeled for the disciples the greatness of a servant leader through the washing of their feet. He showed them what his sacrifice was about to accomplish for the world through the first communion. And now he was headed to the garden to pray, and he sang on his way there. The second response I want you to consider of of Jesus is his silence. Another look at this same map shows the arrows, the places Jesus was taken to meet his accusers. So notice, even just looking at it, your eyes went across the confusion that you see here. There was no direct route to the place where the trial would be held. Um, Palaces, and then to the temple courts, and then finally to Pilate's court. So much back and forth, you can see the confusion of Jesus' accusers. In fact, their confusion was so accompanied by rage that scholars tell us that at least 18 Mosaic laws were broken by the religious leaders during the accusation and trial of Jesus. Have you ever been around somebody that's that angry that they're completely not even making sense? So I'm sure that you can picture that scene of a person and group of people who've lost their senses. 
Caiaphas, the high priest, allowed a night trial and false accusers. He tore his clothes. How difficult it must have been to watch all of this and remain silent. Silent, that is, until we read in verse 60 that it says, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. What a demonstration of the power of silence. My heart is full almost with the imagining of it all. A singing Savior using every last opportunity to bless those around him. Praying fervently in the garden, healing the ear of his enemy quietly being marched all over town, only to break the silence with the loudest truth ever uttered, I am. What passion and courage and love. Passion and courage and love that's changed the world. Passion and courage and love that I'm sure has changed you and it's changed me. It reminds me of another one of the good parts about getting older and aging is We're being able to test, we have this gift to be able to testify to the changes that we've seen in ourselves from knowing the passion and courage and love of Jesus. Changes that are only possible from an anointing of our own, the anointing we have from the Holy Spirit. It reminds us in 1 John 2.20, you, however, have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Being anointed as a part of God's kingdom brings about passion and courage and love in each of us, even when we don't feel especially that way. I was motivated by Amy showing an old picture of herself. Here I am. I know it's hard to pick me out. It's kind of embarrassing that my hair is the same 30 years later. It's fine. It's fine. I think I'm 17 here. Um... And there was nothing really passionate or courageous about this person. I was filled with a lot of fear, most of them irrational, about being embarrassed or noticed. I had to later admit to my parents that, I don't know if you can see I'm holding a clarinet, that I would often make mistakes on my chair tests and band on purpose so I wouldn't have to sit on the outside edge of the concert formation. I I made sure my grades were good, but not ever good enough to to end up on some stage having to speak in front of people. Um, It's really quite the opposite picture of living courageously or passionately. Um, But thankfully, I had a youth pastor. I had some mentor teachers. um, I had some people in my life that helped me Um, take some risk-taking. They invited me to join alongside them in following Christ in these ways, going on trips, mission trips or leadership opportunities. Um, I even had someone in a very poignant conversation call me out for the sin of self-centeredness. He pointed out that self-centeredness and self-preservation, which I had become very good at, um, was a sin that I was drawing towards myself, and what good was that to anyone else? And so those people helped me rely not on any God-given skills, not on anything that I possessed, but on the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. Um, It still is certainly my bent to hide, especially from conflict. 
Um, but it's my joy to testify to you that knowing the Savior's passion and love for me has changed me. I like to kind of refer to it as the breaking of the Enneagram. I don't know if any of you know your number or have you done the test, but I feel like it's a really strong analogy to this present-day example of being an anointed child of God. Maybe the world says that, you know, you test like a short-tempered person, but you surprise yourself in a situation with this overwhelming sense of patience. Maybe... um, You like to work alone, but you pour love into a group project that you've been uh, assigned to. There's all these kind of examples where maybe your your comfortable place isn't how you acted out. Um, Maybe even after the urging of a sister in Christ, a really shy, reserved person begins to preach the gospel each week in a yoga class of all places. That's what I was called to do. And it's just kind of interesting to me that um, we don't testify about that more, testify about how that we weren't ourselves, because what a powerful message that can be. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about maybe in a more general way what can be the response, what we're called to respond to as believers. Certainly, the nurturing of our faith, the study of God's Word, being a part of Christian community. We've received lessons recently, even in um, the big church sermons, about how to correct each other through the um, urging of the Holy Spirit, if you are urged and told to correct another believer. Maybe it's through rehearsing the gospel, however that goes for you. How do you remember your need for a Savior? How do you often take yourself to a place of true repentance. Maybe it's living with awareness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. How do you obey and serve others even when you're not confident, when you're not comfortable, when you don't feel passionate and courageous? So I'd like to leave you maybe just with those points today. I urge you to think about um, some ways that you can continue to live this out in your life, to be bold, um, to be courageous, to be passionate followers of Christ. And I love that we're here together to encourage each other on. So whether you're the shy person or the outgoing person, there's much work to be done in the kingdom. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great love that you have for us. We thank you for helping us to see our need for a Savior and for calling us to be part of your kingdom. We thank you for anointing us with your spirit so that we can live in obedience. We bravely ask that you continue to make us new and that you continue to grow passion and and courage and love in each of us so that the world can see your glory. It's our desire to bring you all glory and all honor. In Jesus' name, amen.